0: I thought I'd start out by sharing a story with you uh, tonight, and uh, it's a story of fishing. About uh, three years ago, I went to New Orleans, and uh, my wife is from New Orleans, Kathy, and we went fishing on the bayou in, in New Orleans. Man, it was it was, it was pretty uh, pretty incredible. It's not like anything I've ever, ever seen before. So many of you don't know my backdrop. I'm not a big fisherman. Like, I just don't think it's that cool. Like, most of the time when I go fishing, I usually don't catch much. Or I come back empty-handed. Like, you probably can't see that. I mean, that's like bait. But that's what I caught uh, last time I went fishing. No joke. No joke. And so, um, you know, fishing just has all these you know complications for me you got to gas up the boat then you got to pack up the car and 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 then you got to get the bait and then and then you got to drive the boat miles sometimes to the fishing hole that you want to go to and so there's just a lot to 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 do when it comes to fishing and so um man Kathy said hey you got to go fishing on the bayou and I said okay I'll give it a shot and so you know Many of you who fish like you wake up really early in the morning. To be exact, we woke up at 4:30 one morning to go fishing. And so another reason why I don't really like fishing is because you can't really eat breakfast at 4:00. You're not really that hungry, right? And so we 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 pull up to the dock, and this is unlike anything I've ever seen before. We pull up to the dock in New Orleans, and we're about to go out in the bayou. And I pull up, and the boat's ready, like it's gassed up. It's it's right there on the dock. Uh, it's packed with bait. It's packed with fishing poles. They even have drinks for the, for the hot sun because in New Orleans in the summer, it's, it's horrible. Like it is, it is hotter than Hades, right? And so we're, we're, we're ready, man. And I'm, I've never experienced anything like this. We go with a fishing guide. Many, how, many, how many of you have gone fishing with a fishing guide, right? Yeah, a few of us. Okay, so this is awesome. Like they drive us out to this fishing hole and they call it the honey hole. Any of you know, any of you have been fishing, you know what the honey hole is. The honey hole is where you drop a line into the, into the ocean, and your, your, your line just catches right away. I mean, there's fish that are just, I mean, practically the fish are jumping in the boat. And so that's what happens, man. We are fishing, and we're, we're, we're catching fish left and right, and specifically we're fishing for redfish. Anybody gone redfish yeah, okay, okay, a, f- a few of us. So, man, we're, I'm loving it. Like, by the time lunchtime comes, man, we have limited out on redfish. It is unlike anything I've ever experienced before. And so the reason why I share this story with you tonight is this. I found, I found out through that trip that I hate fishing. Like, I hate it. But I love catching. Like, I love catching. Look at this picture. Like, this is a, a, a monster red in my book. And, and so I, I figured out quickly that I hate fishing, but I love to catch. And so the reason why I share this with you tonight is that like some of us are completely content with dating. Like we are content with dating, and we have lost this idea that dating in and of itself um, is not the end. Like dating is supposed to lead somewhere, and so some of us have bought into this lie like dating is the end, and if we date well, it's going to be awesome. And, and we've been dating since the fifth grade. Some of us have been dating way earlier than the fifth grade. You were dating in kindergarten, right? Like you had the, your first little peck on the cheek, or maybe, maybe you did the lip thing. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> and so we've been doing this thing for a long time, and we have forgotten that dating is a means for marriage. Like God didn't even invent dating. Man invented dating. And, and not that long ago, dating was a euphemism for prostitution. And you're like, whoa, 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 I don't know if I can, look it up, bro. Like, look up, look up, Google the history of dating. I promise you, true story, you will find out that dating is was actually a euphemism for prostitution. So this dating is supposed to lead us somewhere. And so if you're those guys who love fishing and, and I'm like, hey, man, did you catch anything? You're like, no, but, man, I had, a whole, I had a fun time casting out and reeling in, casting out. And I'm like, bro, that is miserable. Like, there is no fun in that. Like, that's, that's actually stupid in my book, right? And so, you know, for, for like dating, like if you're completely satisfied in dating, then you're doing it wrong. The truth is, like some of you, though, it's like, no, that's great. It's fun. Date the rest of my life. No, in the scriptures, there are two calls. There is the call to get married and there is the call to singleness, sometimes by our own choice and sometimes by God's will for our life. And some of you are like, man, I don't want that will. And so there is no call in Scripture to date. And so tonight I want to talk about this idea of getting stuck in dating. We're in week four of adulting and we're talking about dating. Last week we talked about dating, and so this is week two of it in this series, Adulting. Where the goal is not just to date in and of itself, but the goal is to ultimately get married at some point. Like, if you get up to heaven, like, you stand before Jesus, and he said, hey, hey man, hey, hey, my, my sweet daughter, hey, you got this dating thing all wrong. And you're like, God, I looked in your word, and I didn't find dating anywhere. And he's like, exactly, that is my point, Right? And so last week we talked about distractions from the one. Those distractions from the one would be looking outside of God's people, giving into lust, lustful desires and playing games. And so if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back to the podcast, listen to it and get us, get caught up to where we're at. Last week we looked at Samson's life and we focused primarily on the men and we looked at the mistakes that Samson made. And so this week I want to focus on the three women that Samson dated. The three women that he had relations with, and I want to talk to you ladies. Now, men, you're going to learn a lot. Like, you're going to learn not what, not to, uh, what to look for in a, in a woman. You're, you're going to learn uh, what you should um, actually pursue men. You're going to learn what to avoid. And women, you're going to learn all the things that get you stuck in dating, stuck in discontentment, and stuck in singleness. You have your Bibles, we're going to be in Judges chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. So just to set this up, Israel is ruled by the Philistines, and so God raises up this man named Samson, who is, his entire mission is to release the people, his people, God's people, from the oppression of the Philistines. And so we're going to pick it up in Judges 13, verse 5. And so let me just throw this out as a little caveat, if you... Don't want to look at this miserable blue. You can get on UVersion, the version app, and just follow us along on the version app. Just go to events, go to live, and you'll see Paradigm Young Adults right there on the version app. And you can just follow along with us. Judges 13, verse 5. Here we go. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So the angel of the Lord shows up, and he's talking to S- Samson's mom, who is barren at the time. She has no children. And she, he, he says to her, hey, you're going to bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite. Now, this word Nazarite means to be dedicated, to be set apart to the Lord. And so he says, hey, you're going to be dedicated to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So Samson is about to be born, and he continues to run this track where he's set apart for God on this incredible mission where he's going to free God's people from the oppression of the Philistines. But what what happens is he gets stuck in dating, man. He continues to get hung up in this topic of relationships, and he gets distracted by women in his life to keep him from fulfilling the mission that God has called him to. And so just a quick disclaimer. I said this last week, but I want to say it again. I don't believe this story was written... Like, God didn't preserve this story for thousands and thousands of years to teach us primarily about how to date. Like, I believe he preserved this story to show you and I that he can use a broken man, broken people, and he can raise up a man who's broken or a woman who's broken, and he can set them apart to fulfill his mission. So if, you, if you're here tonight and you're like, can God use me? And you're like, come from a crazy track record like myself? Yes, he can. But what does Samson do? He continues to get caught up in his sin. But there are so many things that we can learn from Samson's story when it comes to dating. Principles that we can apply to our life. So tonight we're going to talk about fear, control, and desires that get us caught up in dating. Three snags in our fishing line that's going to get us caught up in this idea of dating. Judges 14 Samson is now on the scene, and he goes to a neighboring area called Timnah, and he sees a woman, and he literally says to his parents, hey, go get her for me, for she pleases me, for she looks good to me. That's in the Hebrew. Get her for me, for she looks good to me. And so Samson's parents come to him and say, hey, hey, whoa, 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 Samson, listen to me. This woman from Timnah is of the Philistines. They're not a part of God's people. They worship false gods. And he says, I don't care. She's smoking hot. And so he rejects that counsel, and he pursues this woman from Timnah who's smoking hot. And he goes after her and says, go get her for me. So him and his dad go, and they get her, and he goes and spits his game, has a drink with her, and he pulls her back in. He goes back to his hometown, tells you know, his people, and, and then they go back, and, and they have a party. And basically the scripture says he throws a kager. Like he throws a drinking party. And so they give him 30 groomsmen, true story. They give him 30 companions. And so these companions are there to support um, Samson. But in this moment, Samson's like the macho man. He's like the the MMA guy, tap out. He's the guy that no one wants to mess with. And so he gets a little prideful. He walks around with a chip on his shoulder. And and so he's like, hey, 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 you want to bet? Talks to his grooms, hey, you want to bet? Hey, I'll bet you you can't solve this riddle. I bet you that you can't craft a code on this riddle, and if you do, I will give you. And so he makes a bet with them. And he says, hey, they win or I win. Whoever wins, I'm going to give them something. Well, they go to his wife, the 30 companions go to his wife, and they tell her. They say, hey, listen, if you don't tell us the code, if you don't tell us the riddle, this is what's going to happen. We're going to burn you and your father Alive to death. Like we're gonna burn you alive to death. And 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 so they go to him and and, and, or they go to her and they threaten her to death. And so she goes to Samson and nags him until he tells him the riddle, or her the riddle, excuse me. Judges 14, verse 16. Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You don't love me. You have posed the riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And you're manipulative. You see that? Verse 17, and he said to her, look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother. Why would I explain it to you, right? Now she had wept on him for seven days while the feast lasted. Miserable. Some of you guys are like, yeah, I've been there. And it happened. Sorry, ladies. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her because she pressed him so much. So he gave in. She gave in. Uh, He gave in to her nagging because she pressed him. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. And so the groomsmen come in and they tell him the riddle. Samson calls his wife a cow. He He calls his wife a heifer. True story. You can look it up. And kills 30 innocent men, takes their stuff, and pays off his debt. That's how that goes. And so let me ask you a question. If this woman had any sense, why wouldn't she just... Go to Superman. That's what Samson is. At the, uh, he's he, man. He, he can do anything. Nobody messes with him. Why wouldn't she just go to him and say, hey, Sam, Sam shine. Hey, there's these men over here. They're threatening me. Hey, can, can you handle them? Like that, that just seems logical, right? That, that just seems like that's what she should have done. But why didn't she do it? Because this woman was ruled by fear. This woman was ruled by fear. So first spiritual truth, if you're taking notes tonight, fear causes us to get stuck in dating. Her whole life was determined by men. Do you see that? She is being tossed to and fro by the desires of men. She's sitting there waiting for men to come into her life and determine her destiny. And so let me me just explain to you what happens next. (laughs) You're like, yeah, I want to know. Judges 15, 1 and 2. After a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. Gentlemen, if you're looking for a nice little surprise for your girlfriend or wife, a goat isn't a bad idea. And he said to him, let me go in to my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to one of your companions. Boop, boom, boom. Are, are you tracking with this narrative here? Like, ladies, do you ever feel this way? Like, you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, like, am I, I'm just waiting for this guy to come into my life, steal my heart away, tell me where we're going to live, what we're going to do, you know, you know, where we're going to spend our money, where we're going to go to church, how many kids we're going to have. And this guy's just going to define my entire destiny for me. Anyone ever feel that way? Just me? Okay, I'm glad I'm I'm relevant. Or even worse, you live in the fear that he will never come in your life, and life is just going to pass you by. And so here is what I'm saying to you. Stop waiting and start living your life. Like marriage is a great thing. We see in Scripture that marriage, God says marriage is a really, really good thing. It's awesome, and it's completely okay to want marriage. God says it's okay. But it's not okay to need marriage. Like it's not okay to be in this place where you absolutely need marriage and you live in this fear that you're never going to get married and it leads you to some some terrible places. Dating a guy like Samson. And so what I want you to see is is when your desire for marriage materializes into a place of discontentment, you're feeding something. You're feeding something you know, you're feeding this idol that has grown to terrible places, namely unhappiness and discontentment. And it leaves you in a very vulnerable place, ladies. It leads you in a very vulnerable place where you do stupid things. And, and you can't live out God's desires for your life right now. You begin to think, man, is this it? Is this my lot in life? And I would say to you right now, that you can change the world right now. Like you can, you can live the life that God's calling you to live without worrying about if Mr. Wright's going to come along. Prince Charming's going to swoop down and get you. You can begin to live the calling that God has desired for you. And so what I want to tell you, ladies, is be careful what you're feeding your heart. Because your heart is an idol factory and the more you feed that, that discontentment, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to a point where you put that thing on the altar of your worship. And so this is why if you have a Pinterest account and you have a file, the wedding day or sometime in the future or, or, or you know, whatever it is, the other, whatever files you have, I would say, man, delete it because you're feeding something. That is growing bigger and bigger and that something is discontentment. Like if you're feeding your heart romantic comedies, your favorite TV shows that feed your discontentment, listen. If you live your life this, in the kind of way, the Backstreet Boys, I know some of you still listen to them, right? I want it that way. Come on. I mean, what like what are you feeding your heart, right? Like you're not, it's not healthy for you. I'll just ask that you stop, man. I mean, what do, you, what do you suppose I'm supposed to do? Just stop watching TV altogether, just that? I mean, just, I mean, run away from those comedies and those movies? Yeah, if it's feeding discontentment, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, stop watching them. Because you know they're not doing anything healthy for you, right? Could you, let me just, could you imagine, imagine with me. Could you imagine if your girlfriend calls you up and says, hey, notebook, you want to watch a notebook? Hey, Fifty Shades, Darker, you want to go see that movie, Sex in the City, 27 Dresses, ladies, right? <laughs> and, and, and you simply respond by saying, no, no, I, I don't. And she's like, what? What do you mean? What do you mean you don't want to? Like, like That's crazy. It doesn't even make sense to me. What, what, what do you mean that you don't want to do this? I just don't, I just don't think it does good things to my heart. Oh, well, come to think about it, it doesn't really do good things to my heart either. I mean, unless it does, ladies, just let's be honest, unless it does, like if you had to be honest in this place tonight, like unless it does do good things in your heart, like some of you are like, no man, that stuff doesn't bother my heart, you're lying. No, it does bother your heart. Like, it does. Be careful. That's the angle. Like, these girls in the Scriptures and Judges, they didn't even have that temptation. And you have that temptation. And look, we're going to see where that led them to. So I I, I would just say this. You're in conversation, having some of you who are walking around. You sit with each other in community, and you open your Bibles, and you begin to talk about the Scriptures. But then you kind of digress, and you're like, you know... I'm all the good girls. I mean, you know, look at us. We're we're reading our Bibles and we're and we're and we're trying to know God, but none of the good guys like the good girls. They like all the bad girls. And and you just begin to get on this this rant and, and, and all of a sudden something stirs up with you and you become angry and you're and you're like, Man, why is this like this? And you become very, very cynical and before you know it, it's like, no, 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 no. They don't like you because you're the you're the crazy angry single girl like that's the problem and so and so you're sitting like you're sitting in the background and you're under this umbrella of righteousness right and you think that you're being righteous but you are like no you're walking around with a chip on your shoulder thinking that everybody's against you and, and, and no one's against you right but but you're making yourself think that everyone's against you and so be careful You're getting worked up, and you're walking around, and I'm just saying, calm down. We're just talking as girls. Yeah, you're feeding something. You're feeding something that isn't healthy. And so when you live in fear, you forfeit this ability to see things clearly. When you live in fear, you forfeit this ability to see see things clearly. I see this all the time. Do you remember what Samson's parents tried to say to him? Hey, Samson, she's no good for you. She's not a part of God's people. She's outside of that. And they tried to direct him to a place that was healthy. And so I see this all the time. And what did he say? No, I'm good. I don't need God. And so you're in community. I see this all the time. And and you're like, man, I'm building all this trust with my community, and, and I love them. They're the best thing ever. Hashtag, we can't do life alone, better together. You know, people need people. And then all of a sudden, you start dating. You get a boyfriend, you get a girlfriend, and you come into your group, and they're like, "Hey, hey, I've been watching your relationship. I've been watching that guy. I've been watching that girl. They're no good for you." And you're like, "What? Who, what do you know? Like, I can't even trust you. What are you talking about? They're no good for me. Do you know? Like, I've been I've been single for ten years." And so you push back on this idea of community, and when people see something in you, and so you find yourself on an island all alone with this guy or girl, and you begin to alienate yourself from the church. Why? Because it feels like they're holding something back from you. It feels like they're holding something from you that you really, really, really want. Let me tell you something. When I really, really, really want something, that's when I trust myself the least. Do you know that? Like I I don't make decisions when I truly passionately want something because I forfeit my ability to see things clearly sometimes because my emotions stir me up to an unhealthy place where I can't really see clearly. Let me ask you a question. What dating outcomes are you afraid of? This is a great question to ask as you guys are in community with each other. Community group leaders, write this down. What dating outcomes are you afraid of? What is it? Is it hurt? Is it not being asked out? Is it singleness? Is it divorce? Is it sex? Is it not liking marriage? Is it wasting time? Is it being like the crazy cat lady, right? I mean like, you know that that lady that's single and she's got 10 cats, right? I don't know. Like what is the thing that you're afraid of I mean, because, so this story turns out that this woman's fears are realized. And all she had to do was expose her fears to the light. All she had to do was tell her husband, Samson, hey, Samson, go, go take care of this. This is crazy. Who do they think they are threatening, threatening my life? Telling me they're going to burn me. What? I mean, it doesn't make sense. And so what happens? Samson's angry? That they give his wife away to one of his companions? So he sets their crops on fire. So, so, so they set... So so they're angry because he sets their crops on fire. So they go and set her and her father on fire. They fulfill that threat that they made to her. And so Samson goes into hiding and, you know, goes to his people. And his people actually turn on him. And they hand him over to the Philistines and they tie him up with new ropes. And so it's at the point where people, are, the, the Philistines are about to come in and, and converge on Samson and take his life, he busts free from the, the ropes. The, the scripture says that the spirit of God gives him strength and he busts through, free through the ropes and he kills a thousand men in one day. And I want you to remember this place. It's called Ramoth-Lehi. Like this is going to be really, really important in just a few minutes. So he literally kills them. And he's dying of thirst, so he cries out to God, and God provides him a spring. In that, God's merciful in the midst of Samson's sin. Then he leads Israelites for 20 years, and they're free from the Philistines, until he sees another woman. Judges 16, 1 and 2. Now Samson went to Gaza. And saw a harlot, a prostitute there, and went into her. When the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were, they were quiet all night, saying, in the morning, when it is daylight, we will kill him. Spiritual truth number two, guys. Control causes us to get stuck in dating. Control causes us to get stuck in dating. Type A. If you're looking at those notes, don't worry about it. It, There might be a little bit, uh, you know, words are jumbled. Don't worry about it. Just write what's on the screen. Control causes us to get stuck in dating. Control causes us to get stuck in dating. Why? Why do I say control? Because we're talking about a prostitute and Samson. Because there are only two reasons why women leverage their sexuality to get a man. Number one, because she is controlled by the man. So she leverages her sexuality, or number two, she wants to control the man. And notice in those two scenarios, the word control is seen. And so, women, when you begin to use your sexuality to control your destiny in dating, you move outside of the bounds that God has provided for you. Let me say that again. When you use your sexuality, Okay, when you use your sexuality to control your destiny in dating, you have moved outside of God's will for you. Let me say, let me say it this way. Is sex outside of marriage an option for you, ladies? Is it an option for you? And, and, and I have ladies say, no, no, it's not an option for me. Well, let me ask you. Are you on birth control? Like the, the just in case and, and and let me throw this out of, I know some of you use it for your complexion, some of you use it you know to to, to have co- constant periods to regulate those. I get it, or the doctor has prescribed it for some other reason, but if you had to be honest in this place, if you 're using it for the just in case moments, that is symbolizing or that should be a a a trigger or a alert that you are using it to be in control. Like what would Jesus have to do or say to move you to a place where you would say that sex outside of marriage is not an option? Let's just say he shows up face to face and he says, my daughter, my sweet little girl. Like I, I want you to understand that I want you to flee sexual immorality. Do, not, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? You have been bought with a price, so therefore honor God with your body. And so some of you need to know that's what he said in 1 Corinthians 6. So what would he have to say or do to get you to that place? Like he puts rules in place because he cares for your protection. You see, God wants a healthy relationship for you. That's his bar. He wants a healthy marriage. But if you want to pursue those things, listen, he gives you the freedom to pursue them outside of what what he wants for you. And so I see it all the time. I I sit across the table with a lady and, and she's mad. Or I sit across the table with a guy and they're mad. Why, God? Why would you do this? And God's up in heaven. He's waving his arms and he's saying, hey, I tried to tell you that that wasn't going to end well for you. I tried to tell you, hey, there's nothing good there for you. I want something better for you. But I'm going to let you do what you ultimately want to do. But I love you. But you wouldn't listen to me. You ran into that prostitute's house and they waited outside to kill you because it's a trap, man. And it's always a trap. Like when we were fishing, man, we wanted to catch redfish. And so we had a specific bait for redfish. Like there was all kinds of other fish. There was um, let me make sure I get this right, because I've amberjacks. I don't remember heard of amber catfish. There was shark. There were all kinds of different fish, right? And so we used this specific bait. Like they had a fish finder and we could see all these different, so we used this specific bait that Redfish really, really loved. And so I'm going to make this super practical and it will save you a lot of pain. If you're fishing with your body, if you're fishing with your low cut blouse, your spaghetti strap shirt, so people can see your cleavage, your low cut skirt. If you're using that to attract men, then you're going to get someone that is going to like you for your body. And this is the deal. And men aren't going to like me when I say this. But he's going to whisper the sweet nothings in your ear. He's going to look into your eyes. He's going to say, I love you. But that merely means that he just wants your boobs. He just wants your behind. He just wants your waistline. He wants your, your legs. Like he just wants it. And isn't this so practical? You're going to catch with whatever bait you use. I'm trying to save you, ladies. I'm trying to save you man what do you want me to do walk around with a cardboard box and I can't help that God made me easy crazy single lady (laughs) no that's not what I'm saying I'm saying get classy I'm saying get creative I'm saying that we guys have unbelievable senses (laughs) and we are physical creatures And I'm trying to save you, man. And so I, I get it. People come into this place. They don't follow Jesus. They don't believe his word. They don't believe what First Peter said. First Peter 3 says about dressing my... Mo- hey, listen. No one's judging you. Man, we welcome you here. We don't expect you to act like a Christian. We don't expect you to do what Jesus says. Man, welcome to this place. Thank you for coming and examining the evidence of Christ. But if you're here, man, and you follow Jesus, I'm just asking you that you address dress like you follow Jesus. That's all I'm saying. Sexuality will allow you to control a relationship in ways that it should. You can actually protect yourself from guys who chase sex by trusting in God's commands of modesty and celibacy. Using sex to get a guy will actually cost you in your marriage I've said this story before, but I'm going to say it again. My my best man at my wedding came up to me when I was dating Kathy. He said, to the degree that you will protect Kathy's purity in dating will be to the degree that she trusts you when you're married. And what he was saying was, he was saying, hey, if you can prove to her that you won't take advantage of her body and you will put that over to the side, and you can prove to her that you can say no to your desires, then she will trust you after you get married when she has to lay her head down on the the pillow at night and you are off doing something else. There will be no insecurity because you proved it to her in dating and engagement. And so trust is necessary for intimacy. I I come across many, many couples that have absolutely zero trust in their relationship because they've given each other nothing while they were dating. They they gave each other no reason to believe that they could trust each other when they are dating. It works the same way with self-control, fellas. Ladies, don't think that your man won't be lusting after another woman or have the temptation to after he gets married. And so if he has proven that he can be self-controlled while he's dating and in the engagement period, listen to me, then God is building character of self-control in him, which is going to be an incredible building block for your marriage. And you will have a chance of being self-controlled once you say, I do. And what grieves me is not that the world doesn't follow it, but what grieves me is Christ followers, people that says that they're following Jesus don't follow this. And so I would just say, man, you're not following Jesus, man. You're following your hormones. You're following your own fleshly desires. Like some of us guys would rather, rather marry an amazing prostitute than an amazing mom or an amazing woman who has a gentle and kind spirit that could be your wife. You know that's true. Left to your own devices, man, you know that's true. And some of you have so much pride in you that thinks that you're just all that. And you're just holding out and you're letting one incredible woman pass you by after another incredible woman because your crosshairs are on the physical alone. And I ask that you would pray that God would grow you in that. So God's mercy once again intervenes in Samson's life and saves him from dying because he gives him a spring. And what happens, man? He breaks out of the prostitute's home, another moment of grace that God provides, not just the spring, but he allows them to break out of the prostitute's home. He goes and he straight takes on the city. He goes and takes their doors. Theologian says that these doors, that the gates of the city would be 700 pounds, and he carries them up to Mount Hebron. Why? Because he wants to show The people, the Philistine people, that their city is vulnerable to his strength. And so he mocks the Philistines and says, man, I got this. What are you going to do? Judges 16, verse 4. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, woman number three. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him. That we may bind him to afflict him. And every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So before you go on hating on Delilah, listen, that is equivalent to 17 to $18 million today. Now, I ain't saying she's a gold digger. (laughs) But it's pretty good evidence that she could be. So the first wife went to Timnah and was driven by fear. What would happen if I don't? The last wife was driven by desire. What would happen if I do? Spiritual truth number three, desires get us stuck in dating. If a healthy marriage is the goal, then we have to define a healthy marriage, right? Two selfish people coming together and living in a selfless way because they have an incredible model in Jesus to follow. That's the best definition I have of a healthy marriage, two selfish people coming together, living a selfless life because they have an incredible example in Jesus Christ who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so you see, most people fail at this very high calling of being selfless toward one another. Do you know that every Marriage that ends in divorce is directly related to selfishness. You show me a divorce and I will show you where they're selfish. And so, man, selfish people make miserable spouses. They can't walk out the call of God on their life. In Ephesians 5 that says, Lay your life down for your wife. Consider her more important than yourself. Live with her in an understanding way. First Peter 4. So Delilah is driven by her desires for security and comfort. And so let me ask you this question. What do you want, or excuse me, why do you want to be married? Like what would you want in marriage? Like that's another great question, community group leaders, as you're leading your community groups this week. Number one, because God says it's good. Genesis 2.18, Proverbs 18.22, he clearly says that marriage is good. Number two, because it's a unique opportunity to make disciples through having children or adoption. Proverbs 22, 6, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7, Ephesians 6, 4, Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Those are all on the YouVersion app, by the way. Number three, because it's a picture of God's commitment to us. Ephesians 5, 32 through 33, John three twenty-nine. These are great reasons for wanting to get married. They aren't selfless reason, selfish reasons. Having a dog with a house in the suburbs with a white picket fence, right? Because I want to be in control, because I want to please my desires. Fear. Man, those are horrible reasons to get married. Judges 16, 18. Follow along. This is so good. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, She sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, come up once more. So they were going back and forth, right? He wouldn't tell Delilah the secret of his strength, and so he kept making a fool out of his wife, Delilah. But he finally told her. For he has told me all of his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hand. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks on his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, man, I'll do what I've always done. All the other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Enough, Samson. Enough is enough. I've given you one too many times. You've continued to trample on my grace. Enough. I'm departed. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes, gouged them out, right? And brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters, and he became became a grinder in the prison. That doesn't sound fun. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaven. This is a beautiful verse of God's mercy. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has delivered us into our hands, Samson our enemy. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has delivered into our hands our enemy, the destroyer of our land, and the one who multiplied our dead. So it happened, when their hearts were merry, that they said, Call for Samson, that he may perform for us. So they called for Samson from from the prison, and he performed for them. And they stationed him between two pillars. Then Samson said to the lad who held him by the hand, Let me fill the pillars which supports the temple so I can lean on them. Now the temple was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, about 3,000 men and women on the roof watching while Samson performed. Then Samson called to the Lord, saying, Oh Lord God, remember me, I pray, strengthen me, I pray just this once, oh God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and the temple fell on the lords and all the people were in it so the dead that day he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life let me start out with an application before i just tie this whole these whole verses all in one men i care about you you got to understand i care about you i have no other motive i want you to see this thing samson couldn't really see Until he was blind. Samson could not really see until he was blind. Remember? He's like, hey, that woman looks good. She's smoking hot. Let me go get her. Let me get this woman. Let me run with this prostitute. Until he was blind. And this is his track record. She's hot. Then they gouged out his eyes for the first time, and he could see God's call on his life. He could finally see his mission. He could finally understand what God's call was for him. So I want you to see this. Be careful what your eyes lead you to. You be very careful what you're feeding your heart through your eyes. The tragedy for many of us in this room, that you're going to pass on a woman who would make an incredible mom, an amazing wife, and you're going to go with someone who has a banging body, And about one good year of sex, (laughs) and I'm just telling you the truth, man. Then what's left? What kind of character does she have? What what, What does she do when you squeeze her? And I'm not talking about her body, man. I'm talking about when life squeezes her. Does she fight? Does she have a perspective of the scripture, of who her God is? Let me go with you one more, man. You can help women with their fears. You really can. In the same way you want godly women to help you with your lust. You can help women with their fears in the same way that you want women to help you with your lust. By dressing modestly even though that's your problem not their problem. But you're wanting them to help you with your problem. You can help them with their fears by simply just being honest with them. And not playing games, and by fighting for truth, like fighting for the the, the 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 clarity that you need in a relationship. Like when you send those texts late at night, what are you doing, man? Like, you're, what are you leading their heart to? Like, are you just trying to ring them out? Like, what are you doing? You're just playing games with them so you can get yours right. When you tell them you're going to call them, and you don't call them. That makes you a liar. I'm just trying to be honest with you, man. Only speak what is honest and true and building up so that it might benefit those who listen to you. Be careful with your words because you're taking her heart somewhere. And that causes so much insecurity in women. And they fear. Leaders remove confusion, man. You anticipate what she's thinking before she even thinks it. And you're fighting for clarity, and you're not so back and forth. You're a man who seeks after God's heart, and he begins to tell you. He begins to communicate to you through his scriptures and through godly people what you should do in relationships, right? Ladies, let me have a talk with you for a second. I want you to confess your fears, and I want you to ask the Lord to help you with them. I want you to expose those fears to the light in biblical community, people that love Jesus. And then I want you to take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. And when you start looking at, hey, should I get a lace or should I get beads for my wedding dress? And there's not even a wedding on the horizon. Take every thought captive, right? Because you're feeding discontentment. And ladies, you're not wanting to get married because of your fears. And I'm saying, man, take them to God or you're wanting to get married, but you're not in any place to get married. Like, like you won't even pursue a mentor or someone to disciple you, or you pursued discipleship, but you won't even have, you won't even take the next step to disciple someone else. You don't even know his word. Like, you won't even give an hour or two hours away to serve. And you're wanting God to bless that. Like, you won't even get in biblical community. you like, you, you just kind of solo on it, and you just kind of run, you know, run with whoever comes your way like and you want God to bless that come on and then every time someone tells you what you don't want to hear you run honestly your faith has very implications on your life as I wrap up man I want you to understand something that this book (laughs) this book man is not about marriage (laughs) it's not even about dating can I be honest with you This book might have five pages on dating and marriage. And and, and it's not the dating we think of when we think of our culture. It's the dating with the intention of marriage, right? Because this book is not about that. It's about someone else. It's about your creator. It's about the person breathing life into you right now as you sit there. This book is so far from what you think it is. This book is about you getting in a right relationship with your creator. And so we look at Samson and we see that he was born with an incredible mission to set his people free from the oppression of the Philistines. But how he was a very imperfect savior. And if you chase after Samson, then he's going to leave you wanting. And he's going to leave you hurting. And he's going to leave you desperate. Why? Because he's an imperfect savior. But his life points to a perfect Savior, a perfect one. Can I show you something as we close? Can I just show you how the gospel of Jesus Christ aligns with this story? An angel of the Lord shows up to a woman and says, you're going to have a son who is going to be set apart, who's going to set the people free from the Philistines. Later on in the scriptures, an angel of the Lord shows up to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he says... I'm going to free, this Jesus is going to free the people from oppression and sin. And later the angel shows up to Joseph, Mary's husband, and says, hey, this Jesus is going to be very special. Samson was born to set God's people free from the rule of evil in the land. Jesus came to set us free from sin and death. Samson was betrayed by his own people and was handed over to his enemies. And Jesus was betrayed by his own people and handed over to his enemies. Samson slayed a thousand Philistines at Ramoth Lehi. In the Hebrew, that's Jawbone Hill. In the Greek, it's Golgotha. In Latin, it's Calvary. Jesus went to the hill of the skull and slayed evil once and for all and said, It is finished, man. And Samson was thirsty. And Jesus was thirsty when he hung there on the cross in John 19, 28, and he says, I am thirsty. Samson tore down the barrier of God's enemies by ripping off the gates and carrying up to, the, to Mount Hebron. Showing the city their vulnerability to his strength, and through the death of Jesus Christ, God tore the veil in two, separated the holy and the holies, so that God's people could now have a right relationship with him. It's an incredible picture, man. You can't make this stuff up. This couldn't be written by any man. Are you kidding me? I'd love to talk with you, man, after after service if you think that. God tore the veil in two, saying there's no barrier between you and me because of your sins. We can have right relationship with each other. Delilah betrayed her husband, Samson, for 1,100 shekels of silver from each one. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And with one act of vengeance, with evil present, Samson stretched out his right hand and his left, sacrificing his own life to set God's people free from the oppression of the Philistines. And in one moment, Jesus steps up to the cross and he sacrifices his life For the oppression of people who are controlled by lust, control, and fear. And the fact that you have done this wrong over and over and over and can't get it right because you're fearful instead of trusting God. You're in control instead of wanting to surrender your life to him. You're full of your desires instead of stepping up and walking in his desires. And if you don't hear anything at all tonight, man, hear that Jesus Christ died in your place so that you can be set free and Samson is an imperfect savior but it's pointing to a perfect savior who is coming and his name is Jesus Christ so don't you see guys that there's another narrative that narrative is not about dating, it's not about marriage it's not about even these horizontal relationships it's about a vertical relationship with Jesus Christ so let me pray that we would step into that tonight. With every head bowed, and every eye closed. And that's just simply posturing yourself in a state of humility, nothing magical to closing your eyes or bowing. But tonight you would say, Gotta see you. You got my attention. So as we go into this time of response and we sing these songs to Jesus, man, if you don't have a relationship with him, man, there's going to be a team of people that I'm just going to ask to come now and to be in front of this stage, including myself. I'll be in front of this stage and would love to just pray with you, talk with you, and point you to the living God who can meet you right where you're at, of your sin and set you free. Christ's name.